Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather Podcast. And Andy, this week we are joined by Mike Smith. He is a warnings expert, a tornado warnings expert who uh, retired recently here from AccuWeather. And he is also an author. And he wrote a book about the Joplin, Missouri tornado that killed 161 people. Yeah, from 2011 and also had devastating impacts on the town of Joplin. So we're going to get a story about what happened there and also about warning systems and what goes in to help keeping people safe from severe weather events. Right. And unfortunately, there were some uh, failures, according to Mike, in the warning system there. So he's going to be talking about that and what needs to change going forward. So stay tuned. From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's the AccuWeather Podcast. Here's your host, Regina Miller. I'm joined on the phone right now by Mike Smith. He's a former senior vice president for AccuWeather Enterprise Solutions, recently retired, but uh, you have stayed very busy, Mike. Thanks for sitting down with uh, and talking to us here on the phone today. Well, thank you. I am busy. I'm doing a lot of things that I love. I absolutely loved my 47-year career in meteorology, but I really enjoy spending more time with my family and the aspects of retirement, so my life is great. That's great. Glad to hear it. Um, what we're doing today, Mike, is I really wanted to take a look back because you you wrote a book called When the Sirens Went Silent, which was uh, a look at the tornado that destroyed downtown uh, Joplin, Missouri. So I want to get into that in a moment. But first, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about your background and career. Like, how did you come to focus on storm warning? I got interested in weather at the age of five. An F5 tornado, which is everyone knows is the most intense type. F5 tornadoes are very rare. That tornado went through my neighborhood. It destroyed my kindergarten. It killed 44 people. And something just clicked in me that anything that could do all this had to be pretty interesting. And so I went to the University of Oklahoma, got my degree in meteorology. I've spent my entire career focusing on better ways to warn people of all types of storms. And the Joplin tornado was the first major failure of the storm warning system since civilian tornado warnings began in the late 1950s. Everything that could have gone wrong for the civilian warning system that day did go wrong. Now, AccuWeather Enterprise Solutions, it got the warning right. It forecast the tornado to go right across Joplin. Unfortunately, the National Weather Service said the tornado was headed to the northeast rather than toward the east. Even worse, the local emergency manager sounded the siren for a tornado warning that did not include Joplin the old better safe than sorry. So they sounded the sirens over all of Jasper County, Missouri. Okay. But when people turned on their TV, 
they heard, this tornado warning does not include Joplin. Three minutes later, the National Weather Service did issue a tornado warning for Joplin, but the emergency manager thinking, oh, I've already sounded the sirens, did not sound them a second time. And so people went about their business having just been reassured that the sirens did not apply to Joplin. And because the sirens were silent, as this huge tornado made its way to the city, it caught most people in Joplin by surprise. Wow, that's terrifying. Now, in a way, it proves the value of the tornado warning system. And by that, I mean, when the system works right, you don't get the triple-digit fatality tornadoes that used to be almost routine prior to the warning system. But when the warning system breaks down, you get the huge death tolls. Why do you think it was issued in the way that it was issued? The severe thunderstorm warnings they had been putting out had the storm moving to the northeast correctly. But as meteorologists know, often a tornado-producing thunderstorm will move to the right of the other storms in the area. But people didn't know that. They kept going on the air and saying, this tornado's moving toward the northeast. Plus, when they sounded the siren, that was for a tornado warning north of Joplin, so the northeast sounded plausible. The final part of this is that the tornado was wrapped in rain. Along the path of the tornado, there was this curtain of torrential rain, and no one could see it coming. So if someone was concerned and they walked out to their front porch, all they saw was rain and cloud. Even the gentleman who was at the time the superintendent of schools, a very bright man with a Ph.D., drove right into the tornado because it didn't look like a tornado. So the sirens didn't work, the warnings didn't work, and people could not warn themselves because they could not see the tornado. I have seen video from storm chasers of the Joplin, Missouri tornado, and it looked almost like night whenever you were trying. Not only the heavy rain, but because of the breadth of the storm, I think the clouds were so thick, it just almost looked like night. Right. It looked like a very dark curtain of cloud was moving in. There was nothing that visually said, oh, tornado. The most amazing thing is, and it's on YouTube, go find the coverage on KNSF-TV in Joplin. You have the anchorman and you have the meteorologist on duty, and they're talking in a very normal tone of voice, even though their cloud camera is showing the tornado. And the reason their cloud camera could see it is because they were to the north of the path of the tornado, not in the path of the tornado. So even though so they were looking there are down all these on it, power flashes that are being caused as the tornado is destroying power lines and transformers. They're talking about lightning and everything. They don't even realize a tornado is destroying the southwest part of Joplin at that time. And finally, Caitlin McCardle is the name of the meteorologist who was working at the time, has the sudden realization that a tornado is hitting Joplin. 
and she begins speaking in very excited tones. But the other stations didn't have a cloud camera. And by the time even that Caitlin started saying, take shelter, take shelter, she's literally shouting, take shelter. So the Doppler radar at the time, so for the meteorologist who's in-house looking at the Doppler radar at the time, you think would have been more dependent on the actual warning going out? If by meteorologist you mean the TV meteorologist, yes. Joplin is a small market, and some of the weekday meteorologists in Joplin do have considerable experience. Oh, this was but a weekend. Especially the weekend meteorologists in a small market, they're pretty dependent on the National Weather Service. They're young. They're not too inclined to differ from the National Weather Service. And a major problem we have in meteorology, and, and to people outside the profession, this sounds preposterous, but many students are not taught how to interpret Doppler radar. So that's a takeaway, would you say, is really in education um, for meteorologists is to really spend a lot of time with a deep dive into Doppler radar. Yes. There needs to be in every college meteorology program a deep dive into radar interpretation and to weather satellite interpretation. And so we've got to do a much better job of educating young meteorologists while they're still in college. Like I was trying to picture what you were saying with the National Weather Service as the Joplin, Missouri uh, tornado occurred. And so I was just trying to picture. So there was a severe thunderstorm warning in effect, and the severe storms were moving off to the north and east. So the national right there was a severe thunderstorm warning for Joplin, and they correctly said those storms were moving to the northeast. Okay, and then so the failure was. Do they use? Is it a, a computer? output that would pick up on the then eastward movement of the tornado uh, within that? Computer puts out a first, generates a first draft of the warning, if you will. Okay. And the meteorologist is supposed to review that and make changes and then add any remarks they wish to make. My guess is the computer put out northeast because that's the direction the storms had been moving all day. And the meteorologist didn't catch it. So it was just kind of a, a dropped ball, so to speak. Yes. Okay. But one that probably meant more than 100 unnecessary deaths occurred. I, I, I so wished that things had not worked out that way. AccuWeather received wonderful letters, incredibly generous, emotional letters from its clients thanking us for the warning accurate warnings we put out but like the the hospital that was hit by the tornado i interviewed them for the book and they did not realize the tornado was coming until six minutes before it hit the helicopter was still on the roof and the reason the helicopter was still on the roof is they thought the tornado was going to the north and it would be too dangerous to fly it off and so you see pictures of that helicopter uh, in the rubble of the hospital. It landed in the hospital parking lot. 
there were 15 people who died inside the hospital or on hospital grounds. And that was in part due to the fact they didn't know the tornado was coming. Wow. What have we learned or what needs to happen now? Have we have we done better since then? No. Boy, that's scary. I'd love to say that's that's not the case. I'd love to say those lessons were learned. But uh, back in June in Eureka, Kansas, an EF3 tornado, uh, which is a major tornado, hit the town without any advance warning. The average lead time, meaning the interval between when the tornado warning is issued and when the tornado arrives in the late aughts, was 13 to 15 minutes, which is just about perfect. You don't want too much advance warning of a tornado because there's only so long people will stay in a bathtub with a mattress over them or in a closet. The lead time has gone back to eight minutes. What specifically needs to happen to correct that? Because, you know, you're thinking, well, we uh, do so much more research now. we got people going out. We have so much more technology. You would have just assumed over time things have gotten better, not worse. So what specifically needs to change um, to make this change? I think the reason warning accuracy has gone down is because my generation of meteorologists has retired and the younger meteorologists who have replaced them have simply not been adequately trained. And especially, they have not been trained on something called pattern recognition so that they quickly pick up on what Mother Nature is trying to tell them rather than staring at what a computer is trying to tell them. There's a role for both the computer and for pattern recognition, but there are a lot of meteorologists who have not been adequately trained, and we're seeing that in the declining National Weather Service tornado warning accuracy. Is there anything that you want to add about um, the evolution of the tornado warning system through time that you've seen from the time that you started up until the peak of when it was accurate to the decline? Is there anything additional you want to add There's something I would like to tell our listeners directly. Okay. I talked to a number of people in Joplin who told me that they didn't feel things were quite right when the tornado was approaching. But some of them did not take shelter because the sirens were silent, as the title of my book. If things don't feel right and you're in a thunderstorm, Take shelter anyway. What have you got to lose? Um, People have told me in the past, well, gee, I don't want to take shelter. I feel kind of foolish getting into the closet. My gosh, put on a football helmet, get in the closet, do what you need to do. Keep yourself and your family safe. Don't worry about feeling foolish. Uh, It may be the best thing you've ever done, going ahead and taking shelter. Right. Some of those instincts... It's nature's way of telling you to, exactly. to, to act. And, and just so everyone knows, the paper copies of When the Sirens Were Silent sold out 
almost immediately. So I made it available in ebook form very inexpensively, $2.99 at both Barnes & Noble and Amazon. All of this is plotted out on very easy-to-read maps. And so you'll be able to kind of envision what they were seeing on television at the time and kind of put yourself in the place of the people of Joplin and why that day was so confusing and why the warning system let them down. Well, thank you so much, Mike, because you have been a siren yourself. So <laughs> yes, <that> d- <laughs> in a way. You have been for change. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Sure. Really compelling uh, listening to Mike talking about the tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, of course, we're going to have Mike uh, back on for another episode of the AccuWeather podcast. So that's coming soon. Stay tuned for details about that. But of course, talking about warning systems and and severe weather outbreaks, don't forget to download the AccuWeather app today to stay on top of your current conditions when things could take a turn for the worse and check out AccuWeather.com as well. Right. Now, next, we are going to be talking to Dave Dombeck, our meteorologist here, because we have entered fog season. Thanks for sitting down with me today, Dave. My pleasure. This time of year, fog is so heavy in the valleys, and then it seems like it doesn't dissipate. But what's the science behind why fog forms? In a simple sense, a very simple definition, fog is a cloud that's visible at the ground. And this is this is the time of year, um, if you live in the northeast, for example, in the valley locations, uh, it's very common. So essentially, uh, what you need to get fog, you need really four ingredients. You need uh, clear skies, you need light winds, you need moisture, because it is a cloud, so you need moisture. Uh, Whether that's a recent rain, whether it's higher dew point air, a lot of moisture, humidity in the air, the plants give off a lot of moisture this time of year, uh, moisture coming off of the streams or rivers or whatever. And the one factor, the one non-meteorological factor that you need is a longer night. Because you need the longer frame of time for it to cool down. Exactly, exactly. So everything else being equal in June and July, you may not get any fog to form because you don't have enough nighttime. You don't have enough time for that air to cool down to the saturation point and fog up. But once you get to mid-August, my magic number, the the date that I usually consider the the start of fog season, radiation fog, is about August 15th. And then you see that more and more as you get into September and then into October. And it gets to the point now, we're still, like right now it's early September, so the fog will generally burn off, those that valley fog, maybe by mid-morning, maybe 9 or 10, yeah. it's gone. You get into October, and I've seen those cases where it's still foggy at like 11 o'clock in the morning, noon. As a you forecaster, know, you hate that. Like uh, it's local, as a local, like at a local station, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> we're gonna have clouds and fog this morning, and that's gonna mix out, and we're gonna have some sunshine this afternoon." It never comes. All oh, people are so upset <laughs> because I, some days it just it doesn't. doesn't. Because the sun is just so weak, and, and it just doesn't burn through the moisture like it does, you know, a couple months earlier. I remember. Williamsport, it was foggy at noon. It was foggy at 1 o'clock, foggy at 2 in the afternoon. This was like in mid-October or yeah. so. Everybody else in Pennsylvania was bright and sunny. It was one of those big ridge situations, high pressure, easy, fair weather, nothing going on, beautiful weather. And here it is, 3 in the afternoon, and Williamsport's like 57 degrees and still foggy, while other places are like in the 70s and beautiful and sunny. They right. finally broke up at 3.30. 
the sun oh, came God. out, and by like 8 o'clock that night, it fogged up again. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you only have a little window of opportunity. Yep. I was asking uh, Andy and Ken here because I was saying, come up with some fog times that you remember because there's so many different kinds of fog. Yes. So I was like, come up with a couple of fogs that you remember when you were in like your worst fog. And then I thought, oh, that's kind of a worst question <laughs> for these guys. We're always in a fog. Like, oh man, that, maybe I shouldn't ask him that, that question. That was this morning before my first cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And can you explain why Ken's always in a fog in the morning? Where am I? <laughs> right, exactly. But I was saying, let's come up with a couple of our examples because there's different kinds. So mm-hmm. one of the worst fogs I ever remember, I went to Cape May, New Jersey, and it was early season Mm -hmm. at the beach. It was so funny because if you've ever been into Cape May, it looks like like there's all these big old Victorian houses and the fog never lifted and we weren't allowed to go out above our knees and it was so cloudy and overcast I felt like I was in the middle of a Scooby-Doo episode <laughs> you know with like those big old mansions yep. and I was like this is the weirdest beach vacation I've ever been on so but what kind of fog would that be that would be a coastal fog or advection fog is really the more um proper name for that and and essentially what's happening there you had described it's early season it's not really into summer yet it's still like technically spring and the water takes a long time to to heat up right and so that day when you were i'm sure that the water was pretty cold when you're talking about these northern beaches i've learned to wait on the northern beaches and you probably had without knowing that day in the weather map what it looked like i can almost guarantee you what happened was there was warm humid air going over top of that cold or cooler ocean and and so that's why the fog was there it and just condensed you, it it, it con- just condensed yeah, it. yeah right it condensed right there near the offshore and it was right there at the coast i could almost guarantee you if you were to go a couple miles inland that day it was probably sunny oh yeah it was uh, i think it was uh, he had to go maybe about maybe 15 minutes inland but you know miles, right so maybe. i was like the beach was just the yep. beach was a bust for days i mean we were there for days <laughs> i was yep. gonna get one of those scooby-doo vans and just drive around <laughs> and regina miller and the mystery machine the mystery machine solve yeah. some crime and, and the first person i meet the uh innkeeper <laughs> would be the one that actually committed the crime. But anyway, do you guys have any examples? Because uh, Well, one I completely with? forgot about that Dave brought up right before we were talking was mm-hmm. an NFL playoff game. I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, 1988, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, December 31st yeah. in it was, 1988. It was the yep. Eagles and, and the Bears. Bears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Eagles and the Bears in Chicago. I remember... From that day forward, I hated fog because the Eagles ended up losing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that you're an game. Eagles fan, yes, and yes. so is Andy, right? Yeah. You're an Eagles yeah. fan, so, too. So. I mean, and that was, I think the first half was bright and sunny, and then they came out at halftime, and all of a sudden, the fog just rolled, and you couldn't see anything on television. You know, it was... And, now, and, what and, would it cause that? Because that's yeah. weird that it would start bright and sunny. I believe that was probably a case where it rolled in off of Lake Michigan. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what happened. So, same process, it's just you're dealing with the lake versus yeah. the ocean, but the same thing happened. There was a fog bank out over Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. And Would well, the, the winds wind change sh- probably that? shifted. I'd have to check for sure, yeah. but almost for sure. That that very likely is what happened. The wind shifted off the lake, and that fog just rolled in. You probably had – it was an unusually mild, moist s- situation at the end of December like that, mm-hmm. milder than it normally would have been. Um, and you and and you had the you know the lake out there. It's cold. It, maybe it was starting to 
it wasn't frozen yet, but it was cold water, and that probably just rolled right in. Just right. The big bank just rolled right and in. And then, like, an hour after the game, it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, just, oh, yeah, man. It was just, it was just the just second half of, of that game. game. Yep, yep. Now, uh, the other um, interesting situation I had was uh, one time I came out of work, and it, there was nothing going on outside except for I noticed all the cars were going really, really slow. And I almost fell down on the sidewalk, and there had been, like, freezing fog. Mm-hmm. What would be the reason you would get freezing fog as opposed to, like, frost or something like that? I suspect it was a case where the ground was cold, uh, maybe there was snow or ice on the ground, and you had some, some pretty mild and higher dew point air. Same, it it kind of works in the same way of the warm, humid air over the cold ocean or mm-hmm. the lake kind of works the same way when you have a cold ground a frozen ground maybe there's snow on the ground and now you're bringing higher dew point air and milder air over top of that and the fog forms but what happened there in that situation well it wasn't 38 or 40 or 50 degrees it was 32 or 28 probably or right at the surface level right, right and it was almost acting as because fog if you really look if you ever go outside on a foggy day in a mist and you could see the little especially mm-hmm. when the that when the light is hitting it, mm-hmm. and you can see the microscopic little drops in there, the droplets of water, and that's that it acts the same way as freezing rain. As mm-hmm. a gla- it's very minute, but it still works the same way, and and it could create a little glaze of ice on sidewalks, and you know it. It was almost surface. more dangerous because of the fact that you didn't you, suspect it. You didn't suspect it, right? It's <laughs> right. one thing everybody knows. It's a no-brain. Okay, it's there's freezing rain out there. Right. Or, then you know, and you're careful, but. Yeah, in those cases, um, bridges ice up a lot of times in, in those situations, and it's very because you're elevated. There's so, so that's what that sign means, where it says "bridge freezes before road." Like right. if you're is that because yeah. you don't have a ground underneath it, the ground could be warm. Maybe it's what do you have underneath a, a bridge? Just air, immediately. but the air but is the chilling, air, it. and, it, and it, the air chills. Right, that's that's why that happens. Right now, uh, I think it's interesting to explain the difference between valley fog. Because there's times I'll go up uh, Crescent Mountain, which mm-hmm. is here locally. So you'll go up Crescent Mountain. There are times if it's kind of raining and the fog gets so thick on the top of the mountain that right. you can barely see. But then there's other times where the top of the mountain's crystal clear, beautiful. Mm-hmm. You drive down in the valley and, there and there's all the fog. The blanket. So the difference between the two of those. The valley fog happens when it's clear. When uh, the air cools at night, it's a stable situation. So... The cool air is sinking down. It's it's cool basically is, spills off the mountain. It spills off. It's it's like molasses. It's heavier, and so it's like collecting down in the valleys, and that's where your fog is. And you're right. You get up on the tops of the mountains, and you're above that fog, and it's bright and sunny. It's a beautiful morning, and you can see the blanket. It's a mm-hmm. beautiful picture if you've ever got a chance. If to you're that. not in it, yeah. Not in it. <laughs> when and you're you looking that, down on, it, yeah, it's gorgeous. And you can see a blank. It's it's a beautiful picture if you're up above and you can see that, and you're in the sunshine. You see, so that's a stable case. That's when it's clear. Uh, the other situation you're describing is just the opposite. It's when precipitation is falling, when it's raining, when it's snow. A lot of times it's raining. But as you go up, uh, for when it's when it's moist like that, when you're ascending a mountain, the temperature's dropping at what we call the moist adiabatic lapse rate, and it's about 3.5 degrees Fahrenheit per 1,000 feet as you're going up. So that air is cooling, cooling. As it cools, it's it, the water's condensing out, and all of a sudden you reach a saturation point. And that's why if, you know, like in central PA, some of those days, it's raining, it's damp, it's whatever down here in the valleys, but there's no fog. But you could see, like a line. You could yeah, see, you can see it at it, the top of the ridge. You can't see the tops of the ridge. Maybe it's the very top, 
sometimes it's the top half of the mountain. You can't see it because you're essentially in the clouds. Right. That's really what it is. The ceiling has come down and the clouds, the base of the clouds are basically sitting right over top of the mountain. So when you're driving in that, it's like, wow, it's foggy. Well, you're in the clouds. Really. Right. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what it is, right. what's happening there. Thanks so much, Dave. My pleasure. I, I love talking about the weather. Any, you know where to get me, so I'll anytime, come, I'll, anytime you want to talk about weather, I'm, I'm the weather weenie that you need. So. I know right where you are, <laughs> top of the stairs. I'll just come drag you in here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it doesn't hey, you matter what the me. subject is. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. You bet. So for the record, yeah, I I didn't know that there was more than one kind of fog. Oh, I know. There's all kinds of fog, and, and now I know. Andy. Now so I know. you were in a fog about fog. <laughs> so now you have clarity about yeah, that. exactly. Right. So that's uh, one of our interesting subjects that we like to look into when we're heading into the fall season. And we want to remind you, if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, you can reach out to us. Yeah, just email us, accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and uh, tell a friend about the AccuWeather podcast. Now we're joined by Elliot Abrams with a historical look at this week in weather. Around this time in 1857, the SS Central America sank off the Carolina coast. More than 400 people lost their lives and millions of dollars worth of gold and silver sank to the bottom at a depth of 7,000 feet. Some of this treasure was discovered in 1988, but not recovered till 2014. Well, there are many tales of shipwrecks involving a cargo of gold, but this was the biggest find in history. But we talk weather here, and why did this ship sink? Why did it go down to the bottom of the sea? The wreck was caused by a major hurricane, one that may have tracked like Florence has been tracking this week. Back then, there were no satellites peering down at the storms. Even if someone had heard about the storm, there was no way to send out a tweet or post on Facebook or sound an alert with Instagram or Snapchat. The ship started taking on water on September 10, 1857, and sank off the South Carolina coast on 9-11-1857. Today, with all the satellites and observations and computer models, storms like this don't really come as a surprise, but even today, we don't know everything. The Carolinas face a fearsome storm with devastating winds and storm surge, along with incredible rainfall amounts that cause widespread flooding. People could be cut off for days. And then the storm will meander around for a while. We still don't know for certain exactly where it goes after the landfall. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Elliot Abrams. Thank you to our guest, and also thank you for listening. And we want to give you a heads up for next week because it's all about technology. We are going to be talking about how AccuWeather is involved in a lot of the smart technology you're using right now, and you may not even know it. Yeah, it's going to be a real interesting look into technology and, uh, and what the future might hold as well. We have members of our API team. That sounds complicated, but we'll break it down and make it simple. So a new episode drops every Thursday. Be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast, giving you the stories behind the weather, discussions on trending weather topics, and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.